Welcome to the Network Marketing Made Simple podcast. I am your host, Scott Aaron, and each and every week, I'm going to come to you with short, simple, and powerful tactics of how you can grow your network marketing business, brand, bank account, and impact on those around you. And just remember, network marketing is not easy, but it can be made easy with simple steps to create the success that you truly deserve. So Rick, welcome to today's episode. And, and for the listeners, I, I, I love doing these kinds of episodes because you know Rick and I actually met on this phenomenal platform called matchmaker.fm. And uh, the way that I describe it to people is Tinder for podcasters. It's it's where we can go and we can connect and collaborate and do pod swaps. And uh, it's been essential for me connecting with people like Rick. And I, I was uh, given the opportunity, uh, gratefully, to appear on his program. Uh, and it was just a, a great experience. And, and some of the things that, that we both were talking about, there was just such synergy that after we were done with the show, I said, you got to come on mine. My audience will love everything that we were talking about and everything that you had to say to add to it. And so two things, number one, Rick, you know, just introduce yourself quickly to the audience, but number two, and most importantly, this is what they love knowing is, you know, obviously everyone has a different entrepreneurial journey and, and a path that they go down. And to your recollection, what was that entrepreneurial spark moment for you that has led you down the path that you're currently on? Oh, thank you. Yeah. And thank you for allowing me to be on the podcast. I'm excited. Uh, so I, I think just quickly about me, I own and operate uh, a couple of companies, R-Squared Consulting, R-Squared Multimedia. I came from an entertainment background. I actually danced on Cinderella's Castle when I was 11 years old. I was a kid of the kingdom for Disney World. Got to work with the uh, all new Mickey Mouse Club, worked on all seven seasons with them and still work with a lot of those people uh, today. And uh, so I've, I've been a serial entrepreneur, but I'm involved in so much. I, I uh, uh, produce podcasts for, for other people. I've got two podcasts that I do. Um, I do consulting for large organizations, Fortune 50 companies, and, and helping their operations become streamlined. And then I get to go, uh, at the same time, go attend a play or, you know, go on Broadway and see one of my friends, you know, doing, doing what they do. So it's, it's been a blessed life. Um, and I think you and I connected uh, over the, the, well, you for the incarceration, me, the loss of my father, but our father figure right about the same age disappeared, right? One way or the other disappeared. And we had to kind of just grow up on our own. And um, so for, for me, I would kind of blown town. Uh, I, I became really self-destructive. My father was a project manager. He was an entrepreneur. He started a software company uh, that was the first company to automate an insurance claim on the old IBM mainframe. And so they were the first ones to really start getting into the automation game. And uh, he, his blessing or hit what he wanted to do is have me take over the company. Well, I was on this entertainment path, you know, I was going to do anything with computers. I'm not going to do project management. What are you stupid? And um, I always like to say, well, I showed you dad. Cause I think it was probably uh, 2002, 2003. I'm actually a project manager in the IT department for an insurance company going, wow, I'm like literally sitting exactly where my, my father hoped I would. Uh, but it took me a long time to get there. Um, as a serial entrepreneur, I, my, my first business, um, 
there, there was this old child labor thing, but there used to be this magazine that would come and I was probably six years old and it had prizes. And if you sold a certain amount of, of items, and so 625 items, you get a microscope, you know, and I would put a goal out there. I wanted a microscope and a telescope and I wanted this cool little radio thing. I counted up the items and went door to door in my neighborhood and started selling gift wrapping paper and, and, and greeting cards or whatever I could sell. And then I get enough units and get my microscope and the thing was probably worth $4. So that's what I mean by the child labor side of it. But uh, that's where I started my sales journey. And, and I just feel like my whole life is built up to being an entrepreneur. And, you know, we, we definitely connected on a, a lot of different things. And, and I think the people experience loss in, in different forms. You know, uh, my father, you know, was missing from my life, um, you know, as an everyday presence for almost three years. And, Obviously, you experience something on a, a much different level uh, than that, but you know, a loss is a loss, and you definitely learn something from it. And, and we talked about overcoming obstacles and and being resilient. But I think the the one thing that we also really connected on was sales mm-hmm. and our love for sales. And and I don't want the listeners to misconstrue that you know the snake oil salesman type thing. We when people enjoy sales what they really enjoy most is connecting with people. Absolutely. Because the, the sale is just a bonus. You know, what, what, what we really enjoy the most is having a great conversation with someone. And if something monetarily happens that day or maybe two months down the road, that's, that's just a cherry on top. So the, the big thing with network marketing, which I'm sure you're familiar of, is that a lot of these people don't want to think it's sales. They want to think, you know, they're sharing products and they're sharing their opportunity. They think sales is a dirty word and, and it's very sleazy and slimeballish. So why don't you debunk that first before sure. we dive in deeper about the importance of understanding what sales is and how to become a master at it? So everybody sells. I, I tell my kids every day that every every interaction they have is a transaction and somebody's buying. I'm either buying what you're telling me in the story or I'm buying the funny you know thing you saw on TV or I'm not. But we're literally buying each other every single time. And I see transactional sales, which I think is your snake oil. They're they're selling knowing that that person may not be able to afford it, knowing that that person may not be able to use it properly, but all they want is the transaction. And then there's the value sales, knowing that what I have is truly valuable to you and is really going to help you. And I'm valuing people above the sale. As you're saying, sales, the bonus, I just want to see you succeed. And whether it's with my product or not, like I am all in invested in seeing you grow and seeing you be better. And um, and, and learning how to do that kind of stuff. So that's the way I view sales as well. I, I have a whole different approach. I think that most people, and, and you and I talked about it on my show, but I'm a huge fan of Sandler sales. If, if, if There was a book you suggested though that was very Sandler-esque. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, go for no. Go for no. Same thing in the sense that if you look at traditional sales cycle, and, and I work a lot in software, IT, large organizations, and so normally you, you start off with an RFP and everybody lies on the RFP. They, they try to lowball the price. And so I won't even answer an RFP, to be honest with you. And I'll, I'll tell you that story in a second. But so there's an RFP, then you go into negotiate, then they want to go right into demos. And demos is where you're essentially giving away your IP for free. It's not something I'm interested in. 
Um, and then you go through all these cycles, then you find out the person's not even the purchaser. And so when I heard the Sandler sales model, I got uh, introduced to it. I, I made club at Xerox. I was 380% of my plan uh, as a consultant at Xerox. And the reward was to get go, you, you get more sales training, which I always thought was funny. I was like, should train those idiots down there. <laughs> they weren't 300, but I, I get the point. But anyway, it was just a brilliant model and it was a reverse sales cycle. And it comes from the part of um, one of my favorite sayings that always stuck with me is to not spill your candy in the lobby. And so as soon as a salesperson, you know, is hungry for a sale, the first thing they do start doing is I got this, I got this, I got this right. And a Sandler approach says, you know, I don't even know if I can help you yet. And we use what's called pain grenades to start the, the process. So you go, you know, it may not be the case here, and we'll use your, your business a little bit. You know, it may not be the case, but some of my clients get really frustrated that they can't follow up leads on, on LinkedIn. It may not be the case here, but some of my clients find the whole formula and algorithm really frustrating. And, and that allows the person to go, no, I'm, I'm pretty good with that. And you go, that's great. You know, like I said, it probably wasn't the case here. But what I'm trying to do is uncover the pain that they have and then whether or not I have a solution. So instead of coming in and saying, man, I'm, I'm the bomb on LinkedIn and I can help you do this and help you do this, it's let's find out what they really need and sell to the need. Because if we can't uncover that, then there's no way we're going to make the sale. That's just brilliant because I, I talk about this all the time. Instead of telling people what you think they want, ask them what they need most. Sure. You know, what aspect of your life do you feel you have the biggest void? Is it your health? Is it your wellness? Is it, is it your wealth? You know, what, what holes are you looking to fill right now? Because when you're good at sales, you know, everyone says, I want you to teach me how to be a closer. Teach me how to, how to close sales better. The best way to teach someone how to be a better closer is to be a better listener. Absolutely. Because when you can actually listen to what someone is saying, you can then direct the conversation based around what their need is. And if you can base the conversation around their need, they're automatically seeing the value in what you can provide for them, which is going to inherently increase your closing rate. So let's talk about listening, Rick, because you, you and I both know in going through our, I don't even know, between the two of us, probably 55 years of sales, you have to kind of stumble along the way. You know, I'm sure we both experienced verbal vomiting way too much on people, saying yeah. too much and listening too little. Talk about the idea of how does someone become a better listener? Well, the first one is just to stop talking. I mean, for crying out loud, like, it, so the, the best advice I give, especially young SEALs uh, associates, to have a pen and paper. Number one, it'll help you keep notes for the conversation. But the things that you're wanting to say, what happens is we start going into our rebuttal right away. And we were like, oh, we don't want to forget that I was going to say this. And so you keep thinking that and you, you're shutting the person out. You're not hearing what they're saying. Instead, I make a note of this is something I want to circle back to. And it's even, you know, a really good tactic to go, hang on, I, I want to circle back to this really quickly, because you said something that really, really hit home for me. I want to, I want to discuss this point a little bit further, if you would. But taking those notes, that also shows them that you're listening. Um, I think that's, that's the number one thing is to stop talking, take notes, let them finish their story. And even if it's way off track of where you're going, learn to understand that person. 
The, the other big thing is DISC to me is, is really understanding DISC. I, I started to understand DISC in probably 98, 99, started teaching it in 2003. And DISC is... Talk uh, a little bit about what, what DISC stands yeah, for. Yeah, DISC is essentially, uh, it's, a human, it's a human behavior profile. It goes all the way back to like 600 BC. I mean, it used to be earth, uh, air, fire, water. And then it went into sanguine and some really big words. Uh, but then uh, Marsden is the one that the, the same guy who wrote uh, uh, or created Wonder Woman and created the lie detector is, is put it into the current disc model today. And so essentially you have four styles. You have D, which is dominant. About 3% of uh, the, the population is a high D and that's because uh, God loves us and, and doesn't want us to get mad at everybody all the time. But, but these people are snappy, quick to the point, let's go. No must, no fuss. Um, you want to speak to value when you're talking to them, and you actually want to end the meeting early. Respect their time. High I, which is me, is uh, sales influence. Um, we we could we could talk for an hour before we even got down to business, right? And 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 we're so ADD, it's it's crazy. And we love to hear ourselves talk. It's, you and I do a podcast because we're high eyes. It just is what it is. Um, and that's about 17% of the population. Then you have the high S, which is 69% of the population. Now, they are uh, the biggest hearts. And they generally put people before them. And they're also uh, even, you know, steady goes. But they also don't like change. And, and that was like the big aha moment for me that most of the people that I'm going to talk to don't. Um, it's not that they won't change. It's that they completely have to understand it before they commit. But they're uncomfortable changing. And then you have your high C's, which are difficult for me to, to deal with because they're very, very detail oriented and they need lots of facts and figures. And my high eye brain just doesn't work that way. So I can, I can determine with about 85, 90% accuracy. And now, first of all, before I say this, everybody has a little bit of D, I, S, and C in them. And, and you can take profiles out there. There's tons of them. They're phenomenal insight. But for the most part, what we say is people are different and everybody's a unique soul, but they're predictably different based on disc. So I can ask one question in the beginning of a sales process and understand how I'm going to start it and then validate whether or not I'm down the right path. And the simple question is, how are you doing? But the point is listening. It's not, it's not just a, a veil question to start. If I get, uh, fine, how are you? I'm generally dealing with a high D person. So I'm going to go straight to the point, straight to the value and get out. If I, if they go, Oh my, it was great. You know, this weekend I went out with my kids and we went boating, right? You're a high eye and, and that's great. And I probably in the first meeting won't even really get to business. I'll just say, you know what? We're out of time. I've enjoyed so much talking with you. Can we follow back up? Right. High S will say, fine. How are you? And they'll stop. And so now I know that I'm dealing with a high S I'm going to be steady. I'm not really going to talk about um, a ton of change, right? I'm going to ease into the conversation. And a high C, and this is going to sound funny, but it's the truth. A high C is going to look at you awkwardly. And what they're doing in their brain is, is asking themselves, why did he ask this question? What answer is he really going after? And they, and they really value being cor correct. And, and they, cor they, they value having their opinion be valued. And so if they, if they just kind of freeze at the question, I'm generally dealing with a high C, I'm going to go facts, figures, any of the scientific data that I have, that kind of stuff. But just knowing those things and understanding how to recognize them will start the communication path of sender receiver better. And, and it gets you, you know, further in the sales process. That was so, I mean, I literally could stop the episode here. That was brilliant. Because as you were saying them, I could, I, I could classify clients that, I, that have yeah. hired me 
in every single one of those. And, and you're right, you know, 70%. So with that, you have to understand that, uh, that 13%, you know, the, the D's and the I's. Yeah. Those are the people that are going to most likely hire you or say yes to an opportunity. The S and the C's, which is the majority of the people you're going to end up speaking to, which is the 70%, are the ones that are, are not going to do anything because you know the one is fearful for, of change and the other one just lives between the six inches between their ears and they're always in their head. So you're gonna have that person, we call the lay down sale, you get on the phone, they're like, all right, tell me what it is, how do I get started, let's go, let's do this. And, and then as an I, I like for me, that's, that's different because I want to explain how, like when I remember distinctly someone getting on the phone with me and I was like, hey, so-and-so, they're like, hey, uh, listen, um, I know what you charge. Uh, what do you need for me to get started? And I'm like, yeah. uh, uh, can I explain the program first? And it's, it was so unnatural for me to just take the sale without, because I'm used to talking to other eyes where, you know, hey, how are you? Uh, you know, you're from this area and we just, you know, we get chummy first and then I, I get to it. But I think for any entrepreneur that's in sales, whether it's network marketing, direct sales, coaching, I think just following that disc method yes. will, will, will help even, and that was obviously we could dive so, so much deeper into that, but understanding just those four avatars of types of people out there, it, it's going to do a couple things. The, the biggest thing it's going to do, it's actually going to uh, decompress your emotional connection to other people. Meaning if you know that you're talking to an S or a C right away, don't be surprised if they say no, because right. it's, it's not you, it's them. And it's, and you know that you're looking for those D's and those I's that are going to be, those are the ones that are really looking to do more forward thinking stuff. So, I mean, Rick, just absolutely brilliant. And so how is that just, you know, going on the low level aspect of what we sure. were just talking about, how has that DISC method actually helped you in, in your coaching in your consulting and, and just your everyday communicating? So I'll give you, I'll give you more of a background of where it really made an impact. That was as a project manager. I was a turnaround specialist for Xerox and that meant I got sent into the worst of the worst projects and I had two weeks to decide how big was the check we we're going to have to write to get out of it or could we save it? And so I didn't have time. And as a high eye, I didn't have time to get to know my team. And so I started to diss them as soon as I walked in. And most likely, the answer was residing in a C, meaning they knew the answer, but because the D's and I's repressed them, they just shut down. And so when a project's going off the rails, somebody's not communicating and we got to hear why, I could just get to that person. And people thought I was a genius. And like, literally, I did nothing. Right? I'd go in there, I'd identify the person, I'd ask them a question, they'd give me the answer. I could relay it in a different way to executives and off we went. And that was what was fascinating to me. The other thing I learned is, is if you look at the circle on your D and C side, those are task-oriented people. Your I and S side are people-oriented people, which means it, the only small, it's a small difference, but like if you were sick, and I was a D, I'd say, oh, dude, I'm sorry that you're sick. Go ahead and finish that task real quick and then take off the day, right? A high I or high S will go, well, go ahead and take off and finish that task later. That, that, that's a small difference, but it also changes the language in which I'm speaking to an executive or to a potential salesperson is what am I going to have to do or how is that going to make me feel? 
right? And, and those, those are kind of a, a big variation. But that was huge in my career once I started to understand that. And then it became natural. Like I can, I, I can quickly identify and change my language and even if I d- identified wrong. So you have like, um, you have one profile that, that's a false D and that's where they're high in IS and C, but they have no D, but they can come off like a D but they're, they're really more of an S and it's really kind of weird, but you even start to learn some of those things, but studying that and studying uh, Dr. Cialdini's powers of persuasion were probably the two biggest breakthroughs in my sales career. So talking about the power of persuasion, because you, again, that comes back to language and, and conversation and listening. How has that, that aspect, the power of persuasion actually helped you in your career? It's understanding the click were response is, is the way Dr. Cialdini says it, but our brains have an automatic click were response to, to say yes or no without people really thinking about it. And it's learning how to identify what's ethical and available to use and to use it appropriately. So for instance, um, one of the big ones is consistency. We have a, a, a need to be consistent, not only with the persona that we've created, but the decisions that we previously made. So if somebody has said, you know, I don't like training programs and you're trying to get them to buy a training program, the consistency is going to say, no, you've got to change direction. Um, and there was, there's fascinating studies that he uses to support this. So he, he's basically looked at over uh, hundreds of thousands of studies of behavior and come down to six principles of persuasion, consistency being one of them. But uh, they were doing a, a soft drink test and they were sitting on there and they sampled a hundred people and just walked up to them. Would you like to try a new soft drink? Right. And then they recorded the responses. Then they changed their approach one small way. They, they changed it and said, uh, do you consider yourself an adventurous person? And if the answer was yes, then they offered them this soft drink. If they said no, they let them pass by. It was like 37 to 87% trial rate because there was a consistency that I just said I was adventurous. Why wouldn't I taste a, a new soft drink? Little things like that and just understanding your brain. The, the other one, they call it a, 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 an offer and retreat position, essentially. But even when I'm selling, I'm sell, I sell large deals when I'm doing software and consulting. Some of it can be, you know, in the hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And um, inevitably, I'll be in a sales call for about 15 minutes before I get the, you know, do you have a ballpark price? Right. And these things are so, there's no possible way. And so, if you don't have a program like yourself where you've got some somewhat set prices and that kind of stuff, and it is variable, um, people stumble over that. And I learned to make a joke, but it actually sets a psychological trigger. So what I do is I go, you know what? You, you guys are awesome. I say, I can guarantee you right now, it's going to be less than $50 million. I mean, just burn. as a matter of fact, I like you so much. I could go less than 10 million guaranteed. And they're like, we're thinking it's a hundred thousand. I said, see, we're both right. It's less than 10 million. But I get right past that question. I create a little p- part of connection. Now when they see the real price though, in their brain, they're comparing it to the $5 million I just said. So now when I give them a $160,000 proposal, that $5 million figure is in their head and it just, it, there's not as much sticker shock. It is just a simple, easy, and I, it's not something I throw any time, it's only if I'm asked. And it's a dumb question to ask me 15 minutes in, let's just be honest there. So it's a way I can glide right by, set a psychological trigger, come back with what my price is, and it doesn't. But people are like, "Oh, you know, twenty, thirty thousand, and then it's one hundred and sixty thousand. It's the reverse, right?" So I always aim really high, make a joke of it, but then whatever the price is, it, it seems to work better. Those are the little tricks that power of persuasion can really teach you. 
I love that. I mean, this, this is so helpful for network marketers or, or anyone in sales for that matter. And, and I mean, I'm learning something. I'm, I'm going to try some of this stuff out on my next couple of calls just to kind of, kind of see how it is. Because again, you know, the teacher is always the student. And something that I always live by, Rick, is that when someone thinks they know everything, they know nothing. Because yeah. you're always looking to improve. You're always looking to, to hone your skills. Even and, and again, I love what T. Harv Eker says. He goes, every master is once a disaster. So, you know, you're, you're, the, when you first start out in, in anything new, whether it's sales or marketing or whatever it is, you're going to suck. I mean, it's just plain and simple. You, you need to get those repetitions in just like the gym or just like riding a bike or just like, you know, right now I'm, I'm, my, my fiance is teaching me how to play the guitar. So that's, that's going to be a challenge. And, and I think I, I like doing that at 40 years old because I'm actually excited to, to learn something new again. So once you, once you turn on that aspect of your brain where you actually want to learn something new, um, that's, that's when the fun of life really happens. So in, in everything that you've done, and you, you've done such a wide array of things in entrepreneurship, what would you say is the, the, the biggest lesson that you learned in everything that you did about entrepreneurship that has helped you gain the success in everything that you've done in being a coach, being a consultant, helping everyone that you've been helping along the way? Yeah, the, the biggest thing I think I had to learn, I think every entrepreneur has to, has to learn is how to value yourself, how to be okay with the rate and the value that you set. Um, I got a chance to meet with with Seth Godin. I, I got to to be his runner at an event where we were giving him an award, and he was gracious to to take me to dinner. And he, he asked me a question, and it's part of his book, right? It's not a special question, but it's so powerful when it comes directly from him. But he asked me, he goes, "Rick, are you a freelancer? Or are you an entrepreneur?" And I said, "Well, what's the difference?" He goes, "Well, a, a freelancer charges time for for money, and an entrepreneur builds a business with other people's money and kind of gets out of the way." And he says, "Now." it doesn't matter which one you choose. You just can't be both. You, you've got to make that choice. And I said, well, right now I'm a freelancer. And he goes, then the only way to hit your financial goals is to get better clients. Now I love the greats, the John Maxwell, Seth Godin, Simon Sinek. They don't say anything complex, but what, what they say in simple terms is profound. And what he was saying, he says, he goes, walk me through a client right now that isn't valuing you for you. So I had a client that, um, you know, at that point, my rate was like two uh, seventy five an hour. And uh, yeah, really wanted the deals, big deal. They walked me down to 200 an hour. They, they tried not to pay my invoices and they were just consuming all my time because they didn't value my time up front, right? Because the first thing they want to do is negotiate rate. And he said, now how, he goes, I know each entrepreneur thinks like any revenue is great revenue, but that's not true. Because if you were looking for other clients and trying to service other clients um, with the time that they're taking from you at a less rate anyway, then what would happen? And so it was very scary, but I came back that week and I fired that client. And within about six weeks, I signed a, a client to, to a million dollar deal at my rate. Um, and so I just learned, I don't negotiate my rate. Now I will, I will put, um, the only time I'll do any kind of negotiations for a bonus. And that's, that's to kind of say, to put my money where my mouth is. One of my favorite um, uh, deals I ever struck, it was brand new technology. It's never been done before. Um, it was market leading. And uh, they had already tried for a year with another organization and failed. And so they came back out, they found me, we started to talk, but they were really leery, right? And so again, it, you know, I think at that point, it, this was several years, I was like 250 an hour. And they asked me about my rate. I said, you know what, for you guys, what I'll do, because I know what you've been through before. 
is I'll go ahead and take 200 an hour for every hour that we're going to do. But what, when we deliver what we say we can deliver, when we say we can deliver it, you're going to pay me a $75 per hour that I've ever built. They came back and gave me ranges. They were like, oh, no, that's fantastic because it was a first-to-market strategy. So they gave me a range of hours at 75, a range of hours that would be 50, a range of hours that would be 25. And then if I went over a certain amount of hours, I'm at the 200. And so now we've, we've aligned our interests into not only delivering, but I have a financial benefit for doing it in the right time. And we went, I think, like 25 or 26 hours over that first thing. But of course, I ate those because if you do the math, I'm not stupid. Um, and ended up getting a check for about 2,000 hours times 75 bucks at the end of a project. Um, so little things like that, but don't devalue. I, you can come up with different ways to, to incentivize them but your rate is your rate. And if they're not willing to pay it, then they don't see the value in you. And they're not going to see the value in you three months down the line either. They just, they're just not those people. They're not your clients. So learning how to walk away and not devalue myself was probably the hardest lesson, but it's been the best lesson I've learned. Yeah. I, I, there's been times where I've given people their money back because there's just bad energy around the person that I'm working with. And I have such high standards for what I teach and what I teach others that um, it's sometimes more valuable to me to not actually take their money, but to give it back to them so I can part ways. So I can open the door for someone that really appreciates what I do and is going to make the time for what I teach them to walk through. And, and I, I think that's a great point. Sometimes you have to know when to walk away and yeah. there's that old poker uh, quote, no one to hold them, no one to no fold, one to fold them. them. And no when and to some, walk away and no when to run. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and sometimes, so, and, and, and so many people are listening to this right now and in and, and network marketing, it's no different. You have those people that say they want to build with you or they want to join and they're just absolute nightmares. And I think if you can really start to understand and listen to people and, and people will, will reveal their, their hand, they will, they will show their, who they are, even on a phone call, you'll hear what, if they're skeptical, if, if, there's, if there's any kink in the hose when you're speaking to those people, it may be best just to let them go. So, Rick, before we, before we start to wind down and, and get to my last question, what's, what's your simple message to the entrepreneur that's listening to this that is really struggling with, with understanding sales or listening or closing sales, just a simple tactic they can do to start moving themselves in a more positive direction? Yeah, go for now. I mean, it's it's the repetition. It, I, I've sold my services for so long, there's rarely an objection that comes up that, that I haven't heard before and been able to prepare before. And it's just a Rolodex of stuff in my brain. I, it's, I don't use all the cards, but I, I write them every time and why I didn't get the sale, what happened. Um, and so two, two things I think that are important. Number one is to journal. Um, at the end of the day, just take 15 minutes, write down what you were feeling, write down if you had a great conversation with somebody, why you thought it was good. Not, not like, oh, I talked to Scott, we had a cool podcast, but like, wow, we were really vibing on disc, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Understand uh, kind of those portions, because that's going to be also a roadmap for you. When you're going for the 100 no's, by the time you get to 100 no, um, if you were to go back and read your journal from three months ago and see what you were struggling with, you'll feel and see your growth. And I think that creates the momentum you want to, to continue forward. No, that's, that's so great. So before the last question, Rick, how can people find more about you, what you do and, and how to connect with you? Absolutely. You can connect with me directly at rickamorris.com. 
Um, also, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of those, I'm there at rickamorris.com. My company is rsquaredconsulting.com, and squared is spelled out. And also, we have an online community for anybody that's in project management or agile management called the PM Tribe, and that's the pmtribe.com. Love it. Final question before we sign off. What does success truly mean to you? Wow. Um, so the, there's a quote from John Maxwell that really hits hit home. And, and I went through a near bankruptcy in 2014. And that was, I, I had about 40 people working for me. It was purely ego. It was my ego. And I had a leadership lit. And I, I'm on the uh, John Maxwell team. I get to work with John directly often. And, and he, he said to me one time, he said, Rick, you know, um, he goes, you can be successful by yourself. You can be successful all day. He goes, but you'll never be significant without a team. And once you taste significance, success will never satisfy. And that has been my driving force ever since. It's investing in people, valuing people, giving away as much as I can just, and, and yes, I probably give away too much, but when I get things in return, I'll give you an example. One of, uh, to honor my father, one of the things I do is I pick up tabs uh, at restaurants for people. And when I'm at a new place that I'm trying to, to learn people or at the John Maxwell team, um, I would just do it in the, the, the key is, is I don't want them to know it's me. And eventually people will find out, but it's, it's not an ego thing. So I picked up a tab. It was probably $100 for uh, th this, this group, and most of them were from Bermuda. Well, it turns out later, um, my family's going to Bermuda on a vacation. They found out it was my family, and they rolled out the red carpet. for the, I mean, they had uh, limos picking them up. They had gifts in their, in their hotel rooms every night. They shut down restaurants with these beautiful views, and all because I picked up a $100 tab, right? And it, it's, it's, it's doing it with pure of heart, but the point being is, is if you really give and give freely, the, the return on that investment is going to be tremendous. So if that's information, monetarily, any of that kind of stuff, give as much as you can and serve people as much as you can, and it'll come back tenfold. may take a couple of years because there's that power of persuasion, which is consistency, right? Consistently, everybody knows that that's something I'm going to do. And now it's kind of a big joke, people trying to pay for me, right? <laughs> They're trying to get to... But that's a small investment that I've made over years that has just generated. To, I mean, I've gotten six-figure contracts from it. Uh, when somebody was thinking of somebody to, to bring in, you know, they thought of me. Um, that, that's, you know, the advice that I like to give. Yeah, you got to give to get, and it's doing things without expecting anything back. Absolutely. Pure of heart. Yeah, pure of heart. Love it. Rick, you know, just so grateful for you and your friendship and, and for you coming on today. I know the listeners are going to eat this up and, and uh, you know, just appreciate you and everything that you're doing to, to serve and, and, and give back to people. So thank you so much for being here today. And thanks for the opportunity to, to be able to share this with your audience. Absolutely. And I've taken a lot away. And, and as always, guys, take a screenshot of wherever you're listening to this from and post it on social media of your choice. You can tag us, let us know your aha moments and takeaways, and we would love to hear from you. So everyone, please enjoy the rest of your day, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.
Thank you again so much for checking out this week's episode. And if you can, head over to iTunes, search for Network Marketing Made Simple, leave me a five-star rating, basic review. I would be grateful for all of the support you guys can give me. And again, if you'd be interested in learning more how to utilize LinkedIn to grow your business, your brand, and your bank account, head over to my website, www.scotterron.net. Fill out the form for your free 15-minute discovery call so I can learn more about you, your business, and how we can work together. And again, thank you guys so much. Grateful for you all, and I'll see you next time.